Hello, friends and neighbors, and welcome to the Paul Leslie Hour. We're honored you dropped in today. The Paul Leslie Hour is the home of quality interviews with some of the most interesting people for 18 years and counting. Now, this time around, we're presenting an interview with Miss Deborah Trinelli. Ah, you're going to enjoy this. To many people, actress Deborah Trinelli is best known as Phyllis, the assistant of Bobby Ewing on Dallas. Along with her many screen and television appearances, Deborah Trinelli is also a singer and performer of music theater. She appeared in the stage musical Hereafter and also released an album on the label P.S. Classics entitled A Lot of Living. In recent news, that album was re-released by the label on most digital and streaming services like Spotify and Apple Music, so be sure to check it out. And speaking of listening platforms, oh, there's a lot of them out there. Did you know that the Paul Leslie Hour is involved in an ongoing mission to get all of the 18 years of recorded interviews digitized and available for free to listeners everywhere? Uh, Yeah, we want to make these interviews available to you, but it's a lot of work. Now, this project and the continuation of the Paul Leslie Hour is made possible by viewers and listeners just like you. So you do want to help, right? Just go to thepaulleslie.com. That's thepaulleslie.com and click on Support the Show. And we thank you to everyone who is contributing. Now, I can't wait for this. Here is Paul Leslie and the lovely Deborah Trinelli. We are joined by actress and singer Deborah Trinelli. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Absolutely. As I said to you, I'm, I'm so happy that we have finally connected. And when I looked at the list of the amazing people that you have interviewed so far, I'm, I'm quite honored to be among so many amazing artists. And uh, I'm, I'm pleased that we are connected. And I'm now one of those many fabulous numbers. Well, thank you. I want to kind of start from the beginning. Most stories sure. are best from the beginning. What was life like growing up? Well, I'm a small-town girl. I mean, I suppose some people would say 80,000 isn't as small as some towns, but I was raised in... I was actually born in Corning, New York, but my father was transferred when I was very young, only months old. And so I consider Schenectady, New York, my hometown, which is in the Capital District region of New York. I had a wonderful childhood. We were a small family, just two brothers, the girl in the middle of two boys, an amazing mom and dad, a wonderful, loving, supportive family. No matter what we pursued, it was just the support of, of loving parents. I had amazing music programs in school, which certainly helped to encourage my very early love of music. I suppose kind of it, it's a little appear a little innocent now compared to the world of, that I have lived in, that I live in today, and I have lived in. But it was a great childhood. You said that you enjoyed music from an early age. What kind mm-hmm. of stuff did you enjoy the most? I had very eclectic taste very early on. You know, my parents, there was always music in the house. My parents, actually, although they were professional musicians, 
My dad played the trumpet and sang a little bit with college, uh, his college dance band. My mother was quite an accomplished musician, an oboist. She also played clarinet and saxophone. So they loved music. I mean, big band and swing. And that's kind of the music that I listened to through them that I was introduced to. And then I was just like any other kid. I was listening to everything you can imagine on the radio. And when you think about it, my childhood was really the 60s, every kind of music possible. You know, it was my parents' big band and swing. It was all the band groups. It was Motown. It was rock and roll. It was folk music. I mean, it was such an amazing, rich time for music to grow up. So I listened to everything. And then I also loved classical music as I got a little bit older because I actually had teachers who sort of trying to create in me a, a classical voice and actually just through the public school system, just through the music program in school, I think they were really trying to create a very special, they, they saw something in my voice that was much more classically trained and I'm glad that I have that training because it has helped me with all the other music that I've sung for the years and I've sung everything you can imagine. So I just love music. I love a good lyric. I love a good melody. I love fabulous rhythms. I love Latin music. My father loved Latin music. So I loved all the great Latin vocalists and just even just instrumentals. So that's a very long way of saying that I truly <laughs> embraced every kind of music and had incredible systems built into my education so that I really was able to just kind of appreciate. And then, of course, I was also, there were so many phenomenal female singers growing up. I mean, Carol King and Mary Travers and Joni Mitchell and Anne Murray and Melissa Manchester as I got older and, and even and Karen Carpenter was a huge influence to me because even though I was singing soprano in my classical singing, that's sort of how they were tailoring me as a mezzo-soprano, I also had a very low register. I also always had a very wide vocal range. So I loved the low quality of, of Karen Carpenter and Anne Murray, as I mentioned, and people like Clark and of course Mary Travers had that rich earthy voice and then all the great jazz ladies that I came to know of Peggy Lee and Billie Holiday and Ella Fitzgerald and Lena Horne and Sarah Vaughan and so I really been influenced by all of them. Would you say that you're more passionate about the music side of things than the acting side? Well I firmly believe that as a singer you are a storyteller so I do believe that there's acting, and I often think there are many beautiful voices. Not all those beautiful voices don't always tell a story. Sometimes someone who doesn't necessarily have the most beautiful instrument can be the most moving because of the way they interpret the lyric, and it becomes a part of them. So I love both. I started out singing, but that led to my doing musical theater when I was 13, our local light opera company did The Sound of Music. And I was also taking ballet, so I was dancing as well. And all of a sudden, this whole world of theater opened up to me. And I realized that I could have the music and the acting and the dance and have this just incredible rehearsal process and be around all these amazing, talented, energetic, vibrant people to create create a story. I really became more and more interested in theater, and then when I was in high school, I had an amazing director with whom I did two major roles. I did Louise and Gypsy, and I did Fanny Bryce and Funny Girl. I came to appreciate how much acting and singing 
were one, became one to me, two halves of one. And then through being introduced to someone who had attended school, I decided that's really what I, as much as I loved music, that I wanted to major in theater and headed off to Northwestern. So they're both important to me. I love both. I would never want to really have to choose because I think one is integral to the other. That's very interesting. There's been a lot of people who have said about Frank Sinatra that he was a method acting singer. Because it was like he was interpreting the lyric, a lot of people said, Mm -hmm. as an actor would. Is that kind of your approach as well? There are certainly songs that I just sing for the sheer joy, and there are the songs that are just light and happy and just not deep and heavy, but in the lyric. But I think, as you heard on my CD, a lot of I really what I wanted to do was sing songs that have stories. And yeah, every single song you sing is telling a story. Even if it's something, you know, a light pop song, there's still a story being told. I guess, yes, I guess my own way I do. And then, of course, through doing musical theater, I mean, the whole idea of a song in a musical theater piece is that the emotion gets to such an elevated level that there is only one way to express that thought or that feeling, and that is to elevate it with the music. You're known to so many people for your acting in Dallas. Mm Mm-hmm. What was it like to be part of something for that long? What was it like when it was over? First of all, I never even thought about television acting. Not that I was against it by any means. I just, I thought of myself as as a classically trained actor and also a musical theater actor and a singer. And I had every intention of coming to New York. I started my career in Chicago after college. But I had every intention of coming to New York and pursuing theater. And through friends who were living in California, who were encouraging me to come, to go west, young woman. (laughs) You know, I was young and unafraid and fearless and said, okay, I'll give it a shot. And it just so happened that a friend of mine was working for a casting director. Now, Dallas was already on the air at the time that had already started before I moved out to California. I basically just had an interview with an agent. That was how it began. A friend of mine who worked for a major director with her coaching agent thought that we would hit it off. I met with him. He said, this role is opening up on the series. They're replacing this character. And I just want to send you out and see how you do. So I arrived a couple of days before Thanksgiving. And within a month, two days before Christmas, I was filming my first episode of Dallas. It truly was, to me, just the right place at the right time, and I thought, oh, they're going to wake up and they're going to realize they've made a mistake hiring me and they'll have somebody else. But in the meantime, I'm part of this phenomenon. I mean, I knew about Dallas. Remember, this was in the early days. This was right at the time when the Who Shot JR episode was going to be filmed. They hadn't done it. He had been shot, but all the solving of that great television historical question was taking shape. So I really did come into the series at the time when it really took off. But I don't think I totally realized what I was getting into until I was really in that world. And I certainly didn't imagine that it was going to last 10 and a half years, that I would be on 11C until the end of the series. It certainly opened a lot of other professional doors for me. It was an amazing experience. I got to work with some phenomenal actors. And the only thing that's difficult is when you're on a series that long, people sort of see you as that one character. Although I did many guest star roles and I did film and I was still doing theater and my music, you tend to sometimes get a little pigeonholed. 
So as grateful as I was, I also wanted to expand, and I, I realized at the end of the series, I did a, a concert tour around the country, singing the music of Colt Porter with the beautiful jazz pianist Joe Harnell for Columbia Artists, and I started traveling the country, and I, I missed my family. My family was all on the East Coast. I'd been away from home for a very long time, and I just decided it was time to come East. So, you know, after a couple of years in L.A., after the series ended, I... And as I suppose, I don't want to say reinvented, but maybe rediscovered part of my career and, and started to feed that, that part of my performing love by doing more singing and cabaret work and then began to do theater on the East Coast as well. Would you say that New York is more close to your heart in terms of being an artist? It's a better environment? In New York for me, I think because... I felt immediately at home because that was my background, and I certainly knew a lot of people who were working here whom I had worked with in Chicago and in L.A. who were now on the East Coast. I loved the television work. I loved that environment. I loved living in California, although far from home. I truly, I've always been the kind of person who appreciated wherever I was as long as I was doing work that was satisfying, and I felt that I was, you know, not stuck in a rut, and that I was always recreating and learning more. I was happy there, but certainly I felt musically, I would say musically, more at home in New York with the cabaret work and, and of course, I was also doing, I was always doing recording work wherever I lived. But yes, I mean, theater is going home. That, that's where my roots are. When you recorded the album, A Lot of Living, you're so passionate about theater and so many of these songs, like the title, A Lot of Living to Do, are from musicals. How did you go about picking the songs for the album? Oh, that was a very, very difficult decision because there was so much music that I wanted to do. And I also, you know, I love standards and I love jazz, but there are a lot of contemporary writers and new writers that whose music I was performing on the album. My producer was also a wonderful songwriter. I have a couple of his pieces. I have a Stephen Schwartz, Stephen Lutzak tune. A lot of living to do. He worked out this wonderful arrangement with Barry Levitt that I was performing separately from not, not even thinking about it as an album. We had just sort of done this arrangement for some of the concert work we were doing together. And, but in a sense, I thought, well, it really does say what I've done. I, I have lived a lot, and I still have a lot of living to do. Hmm. So I felt that that was sort of a great umbrella to then explore a lot of different kinds of music. And what happened was, as I started to choose music, and then also the wonderful standards like Little Girl Blue and Dear Portia Nelson's song, which is such a beautiful song, it's Little Things, and, you know, and then some standards that I had done in, at a concert series in New York, all the pieces of the puzzle started coming together and I realized that in a way I had a song cycle because I sang a lot of gentle souls and tender-hearted fools which I am a romantic and I truly believe you know that that is part of my persona as a performer my passion my romantic side I decided to start very simply and very soulfully with that and then go into a lot of living to be but every song started to tell a story and sort of made sense to where it would be in the order. And then Home Again, which, you know, expresses my love of Carol King. After scan, when I was very, very young at the Saratoga Performing Arts Center, I saw Carol King and James Taylor together. 
we're talking early 70s. <laughs> so that was a re- they were a revelation. I probably wore out three Tapestry albums before they became available on tape and CD. <laughs> Home Again became the final song because I was debating different songs material, even though it took a while after that time. But Home Again was a reflection of what happened after 9-11 and a phone conversation that I had with my mother. And then I realized that song truly reflected my love of my family and my home and that connection. And it was just a beautiful way for me to sort of tie up all of the, you know, in a sense, we're one person, but we're many pieces. And I felt like I had shown many different sides to my soul and, and the things that are important to me and the emotions I feel with every single song that I chose. But it was not an easy process, although I was very much involved in all the arrangements and had several musical directors on there who also just poured their hearts and souls into helping me create this in the song cycle. But it was not an easy task. There were a lot of songs that got left by the side, and God willing, I'll do more recording and be able to use some of those in future projects. Tell us about the song Believe What You're Dreaming from the album. I just... I got to know my my producer was chosen for me, but Paul Rolnick, my producer on the CD, is married to one of my dearest friends from Chicago, Dave singer Karen Mason, and he is in his own right a beautiful songwriter. And I just felt that my entire life, it was a reflection of, truly a reflection of my family and the support I got from my parents. I mean, the life that I chose for myself, even though when you are an artist, you are creative, you can't deny that part of you, that who you are, but, you know, it's not an easy life. I mean, people see the performance, they don't see the struggle, they don't see how difficult it is, how many no's that you live with before you hear a yes, and my parents were always concerned about my being sensitive and, and maybe not having a tough enough skin, but they always believed in me, they never discouraged me. They realized you have to do what you feel in your heart and what you're passionate about, so that truly was kind of my thank you to my family, you know, who always believed in me and and encouraged me and truly never stopped believing not only in my talent, but in the kind of person I was and sort of their, their heart and their pride in me. And I would be nothing without that. How did you become involved in the Hereafter musical? I became involved in the Hereafter musical through the wonderful musical director, whom I believe Vinnie mentioned in his interview with you, Bill Hinden, who is the original musical director of the project. We had gone to Northwestern together. So we have sort of connected and reconnected over the years. And there we actually ran into each other in New York, and he said that he was involved in the project, and he thought it might be something that I would be interested in auditioning for. And one thing led to another, and my long connection and love affair with the show and with Vinny and Frankie and everyone involved with the project began. What was it about the Hereafter musical that caught your attention? What was it that made you really want to get involved? Well, I like everybody involved with the project. I mean, we all, we all have a connection. We are, we are connected to those that we've loved who we've lost. I do believe that connection continues. I don't believe anything is by accident or coincidence. I truly believe people come into our lives. There's a wonderful line in one of the songs in the show, which the daughter is singing to the mother character, my character, who Sippy, who has passed away, and saying that basically 
she's now not afraid of dying because she knows that her mother will be there. Well, I feel that way. I sadly lost my father eight years ago, and I firmly believe that he will be there waiting for me. I do believe it's an incredible connection. I do believe souls connect, and I just loved the way Vinny and Frankie were on the same page and expressing those feelings, even if we don't know exactly what it is. We want to believe there's some place where the souls that have connected will reconnect. And I loved the heart of it, and I just love the... It truly has a beautiful message. There's also a lot of humor in it. There's a lot of... There is the pain, but there are people coming together who share the same experience. That's what happens to the women in this in the story, how they're sort of separate stories. Their separate pain comes together, and they become this support group for each other, and there's an understanding. I remember when my father passed away, a friend of mine wrote to me and said, welcome to the club, meaning you think about the loss of your parent, your loved ones, you don't want to think about it, but you do know that it's inevitable. And sometimes you feel alone in that, and you can't really understand what it's like until you lose someone who is so incredibly close to you, what that means. And to know that there are other people who get that, I think, is a, a big message in the show and, and, and really touched my heart. I just loved the characters, and I loved the music and, and the stories that it had to tell. It has a beautiful heart. You've had the opportunity to express yourself in a lot of different ways, from television, stage acting, recording albums, all of these different forms of expression and communication. What is it that you hope to most communicate to people? Mm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think very strongly about that one. I truly, I mean, I'm just one person telling stories. I think every single person has something unique about them, special about them. We all have a story. You know, as they say, we're all the star of our own movie. And so I hope that people will open their hearts to the stories that I tell, that other people tell, to the poetry there is in life. You know, let themselves go to the music that's out there in all of us. I hope, whether it's a funny song or a sad song, that I somehow lift people out of their, make them happy when they're sad and touch their heart and make them realize that someone understands what they're going through when it's a painful song. I love love. I love singing about love, even though it's not always a, a you know, an uncomplicated thing. I want people to, I sing about, I hope, the goodness in people. I, I want people to be kind and to be sensitive and aware of what's going on around them and to know that they're not alone. And every song you can identify at different points in your life. You know that when you listen to certain songs, they take you back to a certain place in your life. Or you say, oh my gosh, they understand exactly what I'm going through. So I hope that even when I'm acting and I'm not necessarily playing the most appealing of characters, and I've, I've played some characters that were a little harsh, a little delicate, that they still see that there's a heart and a person inside there, that we're all multidimensional. If I've been able to do that in all of those different aspects of my life, that's a wonderful thing. And the truth is, I'm just truly lucky, truly lucky to be able to do what I love to do. But I hope that people, no matter what their gift is, that even if it's not the thing that puts money in their pocket, that they'll live 
their passion. They'll explore it. They'll nurture it. What do you think is the most important thing in life? The most important thing in life is the people in your life who love you and whom you love. Your family, your family of friends, the people who are with you through, as I call it, the roller coaster ride of life. It's the people in your life. It's not the things. It's not the money. It's the, the souls that you connect with and to find joy and comfort for people to be kind to one another. It's so important for people not to to waste a moment in petty things because I know as trite as this sounds, we truly don't know how much time we have. I certainly personally don't want my last thoughts, my last moments to be anything but but positive. And I want to find joy in the simplest of things. I don't want to waste precious moments. I certainly want to leave this earth with with more satisfaction and at least attempting to do good things. This is an open-ended question. For anyone who's listening in, wherever they are, what would you say to them? Don't waste a moment on things that truly are not going to make your lives better and the lives of those around you better. Live in gratitude and live in hope. Surround yourself with honest, good people. Be kind to one another. I mean, it's such a doesn't sound like a very profound statement, but it really is. If you just take the golden rule, you know, just truly be good to others. You know, treat others with respect, even if you don't agree with them. My father always said, you know, it's very important. You don't have to agree with people, but you have to be open to to their life and their experience. And I also, don't waste your gifts. Be good to your body. <laughs> take care of yourself. We all have something that makes us unique and we need to explore that and celebrate that in ourselves and in others. There's a lot of sorrow in this life. There's a lot of sadness, but there's so much joy if you're willing to the expression about windows and doors, you know, a door closes, a window opens. There's always new opportunity. There's always a way to live your passion, to truly appreciate every single breath that you take. My last question. Who is Deborah Trinelli? Oh, (laughs) well, I'm certainly a work in progress, and that's a good thing. And when you say that, it's so funny because, you know, the old thing about who is Deborah Trinelli, find me a Deborah Trinelli, find me a Deborah Trinelli type, and then this will come full circle, who is Deborah Trinelli? (laughs) There are times when my phone doesn't ring professional, and I'm thinking, that's what casting directors are saying everywhere. Who is Deborah Trinelli? (laughs) But... First and foremost, I hope that I'm a good daughter, a good sister, an aunt, a friend, a partner to the wonderful man in my life. I mean, first and foremost, I want to be that. I want to be a good person. But I'm also, I'm a very curious person. I am adventurous. My friends will definitely agree that I am, I have a lot of energy. I'm not going to leave this world calmly. I'm going to leave kicking and screaming with more, saying I, I, I had more to do. <laughs> I'm still passionate about my music and telling stories. I truly do try to see the best in people. I try to give my best, and I hope that I have this little sort of mantra prayer that I say every day, which is to the universe, use me up, help me every day to use the gifts that I've been given and all the amazing with all the amazing people and things in my life to do what I was created to do, to not waste my gifts. Thank you so much 
for sharing with us. It was my great pleasure. I know I tend to ramble, so I hope you can make sense out of all I said. <laughs> I'm so thrilled that we finally got to meet, and I thank you so much for your interest in me and your wonderful questions, and I look forward to uh, maybe having more things to talk with you about in the future. Absolutely. It's an honor. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that, Paul. Thank you for stopping by today. If you enjoyed our program, consider telling a friend about it. The Paul Leslie Hour is made possible through people just like you. So you want to keep the show going, right? Go to thepaulleslie.com. That's thepaulleslie.com. Click on Support the Show. And thanks to everyone who contributes. Performance of the intro music is courtesy of John Primerano, the entertainer. Written by Scott Joplin. End credit theme music is courtesy of John Primerano, the traditional song, Corina, Corina. Your announcer is Dan Gold. Hey, that's me. The show is hosted and produced by Paul Leslie. And we'll see you next time on the Paul Leslie Hour. <laughs>